starting a new series today called When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I don't think it takes too much looking around at our world. You know, you turn on the news and you see who knows what to make you start thinking, what's God doing in all this stuff? Where is God in some of these horrible things that are taking place in our world? And why hasn't he done anything to stop the atrocities that are taking place? And, you know, maybe you don't even have to flip on the TV. Maybe you feel that way about your life. Maybe your life has been kind of an endless series of tragedies or hardships or whatevers, and you just start thinking, come on, God, can I catch a break? Where are you in this mess that is my life? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you answering the prayers I'm praying? Where are you? And there are so many times in our lives when God just doesn't seem to make sense. Now, let me warn you as we start this series, this is kind of the disclaimer at the beginning, um, this series probably won't make you feel better about the world we live in. This series might not make you feel any better about what's going on in your life. You might not find this overly comforting, and there aren't a ton of easy answers or sweet little sayings that you're going to want to slap on a coffee cup to encourage you throughout the day, um, because Life is gritty, and it is real, and it is messy, and I think to just toss some nice little, sweet little saying out over the top of it is doing a disservice to the reality in which we live and the pain that we feel, and so that's not what we're going to try to meet this with. The Bible stories we're going to look at are, uh, contain real people with real messes and real pain, and so we're going to look at this in an honest way because we live in a, a world that is difficult and the fact that I believe that God is big enough to work in the, the situations that we live in. God is big enough to handle very complex, very painful moments in our lives. And so um, I just wanted to get that disclaimer out. If you think we're all going to walk away going, oh, well, I now, I, now I understand why my life's so horrible. Great. That's not how you're going to skip to your car today if you're going through something. I'm not going to say any magic words and make all your pain necessarily go away. Now, today's question that we want to ask is, what do you do when God seems inattentive? What do, you want to, what do you do when God seems inattentive? Or maybe the word is absent. You know, those moments when you pray and pray and pray and nothing changes. Those times when you ask God, plead with God, you have forgotten how many prayers you've prayed and nothing seems to be changing. When you feel desperate and you plead with God to help you and it's like he is not answering your phone calls for this season of your life. And so we are going to look at the story of John the Baptizer. Uh, John the Baptist. The reason I say baptizer is because the word Baptist 2,000 years ago meant something that it does now. Back then it meant somebody who baptizes people. Now it means somebody who goes to the Baptist church. So he was a baptizer because he baptized people. That's the only reason I say it that way. I got nothing against Baptists, so don't hear it that way either. Um, and so um, we're going to kind of try to piece together a little bit of John's life. Um, mainly towards the, the latter seasons of his life. And to do that, we're going to have to kind of dance through all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to have to kind of uh, look at various stories in three at least of the Gospels today. And so since we're going to be hopping all over the place, if you don't want to follow along in the Bible, I totally understand. But if you do, all the verses will be up here, all the um, addresses for those verses will be up here, and the page numbers for the Pew Bibles will be up here, if you do wish to follow along. Now, the thing about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is that he, like Jesus, was born through miraculous circumstances. Uh, he wasn't a virgin birth, but his parents were, uh, they lived their whole life praying for a kid and never got one. 
And now in their old age, an angel shows up and says, hey, your prayers are heard. God's going to give you a baby. And it's like, oh, that's just mean because they were well beyond the normal years of having a kid. And God says he will be so such a blessing to you. People will rejoice for him and he will be born with a purpose. So before he's even born, before he's even conceived, an angel tells them that God has put a purpose into the life of John. And John's purpose is simply this. He will lay the way for the coming Savior, which was Jesus. He would clear the path, lay the path that Jesus would come into and have a kind of prepared, uh, prepared soil, if you will, to come and plant the message of the gospel. Now, what all of that means is that John would preach in such a way and teach in such a way and live in such a way that he would help the people of Israel see how sinful they were and how much they needed salvation. Basically, John's job was to make people hungry for what Jesus was going to be passing out, which was the salvation of God. But to do that, he had to help people see that they actually had some stuff in their life that they needed saving from. And so when John preached, he did not beat around the bush. John told it like it was. If you were a, uh, uh, a thief, he would say, hey, you, stop stealing. And he would point you out, call you out by name and say, stop it. And they'd be like, oh gosh, God knows my stuff. I better quit. And they would freak out. And a lot of people responded very positively when John kind of pointed them in the face and said, you, you you're doing this. Stop doing that. You're a sinner. Quit. Repent. Be baptized. Stop it. And so he was very direct and, again, for the most part, very successful. But there was one guy that really did not like John's method of preaching, and it was a guy named Herod. Herod was essentially the little Roman governor, for lack of a better word, over the area of Galilee. Okay, And so here we get into the story of, of John and how he, his preaching was responded to by Herod, and especially Herod's wife, whose name was Herodias. Herod, Herodias. You know, every now and then you'll come across a couple where their names are the same, like that. Um, has anybody ever heard of Les and Leslie Parrott? Okay, they're, they're ca- Christian counselors, marri- marriage experts, and their name is both Leslie. It's like, and, his, and, and Les's dad is named Les. He's actually like Les the third. So there's Les, Grandpa Les, Dad Les, Son Les, and Leslie. It's a big old mess. So Herod and Herodias, it's not that uncommon for that situation to happen. And so it says, we learn in Mark chapter 6, verses 17, says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. So Herod, this governor, arrested John for how he was preaching. He said, for the sake of Herodias. So really, it wasn't Herod that wanted to arrest John. It was his wife. Why? His wife was his brother's, Philip's wife originally. And because Herod had married his brother's wife. That's all kinds of weird. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, and she wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, when Herod listened to John speak, he was greatly perplexed. Because when you're powerful like that, people don't tell you the truth a lot. You got, you're surrounded by a bunch of yes men. And John didn't care who you were. He was there to preach the truth of God, no matter if you were the most powerful person in Rome or not. And John stood up to this guy and just said, here's what you're doing wrong. You're a sinner. You need to stop it. And Herod was just like, 
whoa, nobody's ever talked to me this way. I don't know what you got cooking, but I'm going to listen. And it, he really fascinated Herod. And it said, and he heard him gladly. So John preached to Herod, you should not have divorced your wife to marry your brother's wife. That is bad. That is not lawful. That is not what God wants you to do. And they didn't care for John's method of sharing the truth. And so Herod had this weird respect for John. His wife Herodias hated John and convinced Herod to lock him up, put him in jail. And so John, this guy who's done nothing but live his life faithfully for God, okay? He's done faithful stuff after faithful stuff. He did beautiful work laying the groundwork for Jesus, kind of rolling out the red carpet for Jesus to come and preach and be effective. He's done everything right, and he ends up in jail for doing exactly what God called him to do. It was obeying God that put him in this nasty, horrible spot. And we guess that uh, John was in jail for about two long years. And I don't know if you know much. You can probably figure this out. Um, but in that kind of prison 2,000 years ago, they didn't get outdoor time. There wasn't arts and crafts. There wasn't a library. They didn't have cable TV in the cell. It was you sit there and you think about your life. And there was a not a lot that John could do. He could get visitors, but I doubt it was much more glamorous than that. And it's in prison. It's this being thrown in jail that kind of turns John's life upside down. It's, it's being tossed in jail that kind of is a bit of an upheaval to his faith. It's that moment that John went through that kind of made him kind of think, what is going on here? I've been faithful. Why is all of this happening to me? Because before John gets arrested, we see this encounter that he has with Jesus when Jesus comes to be baptized by him, hence his name, John the Baptizer. And so here we are, Matthew chapter 3. This is an encounter he had with Jesus before he gets put in jail. And this is a little bit of his preaching, just so you get an idea that he wasn't a he didn't soften much up. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So he's saying, here's going to be a Messiah coming. There's going to be the Savior that God's been promising for centuries. He's going to come, and I know you guys think a lot of me because I've been preaching and baptizing, but I'm not even worthy to carry his dirty, muddy sandals. That's how much better this coming Messiah is than me. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So John has this unshakable belief that Jesus is this Messiah. He has this unshakable belief, this unshakable or seemingly unshakable belief, this solid foundation in Jesus is this guy whose sandals I'm not even worthy to pick up off the ground. He is that wonderful Messiah, and I don't even want to baptize him. I'm a little hesitant because he's so much greater and more awesome than me. And so there's this moment before John goes in jail when he's got this faith that is solid as a rock, and then he gets tossed in jail for two years. And it starts to rattle his faith. In Luke chapter 7, this is when he's in jail. It says, calling two of his disciples. So John had little disciples that followed him as well as Jesus had disciples. So John called two of his disciples to him and sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So he goes from, 
I can't baptize you. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're the God. You're the everything. You're, you're the, I, can't, I can't have that. I, I'm, I'm not worthy to baptize you. To being put in jail and taking his disciples and saying, okay, go make sure that was him. Like, go double check to make sure that Jesus guy is the Messiah. Okay, just go double check because, you know what? I'm in jail, and I don't feel like he's doing that much for me. God promised that I would do this great work, and that the Messiah would come and set every, all the captives free and all these things, and I've not been set free yet exactly, so I'm not real sure that he's the guy anymore. And how much doubt John had, I don't know, but at least he had enough doubt to send a couple guys to go check and just to make sure that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And we don't know exactly what thoughts John had that led from him going, nothing is, this is the guy, nothing is more powerful than this guy, to questioning who Jesus was. It could have been the thought that, you know what, um, surely this prison stop will be just a little bump in the road, and, and I've been so faithful to God, I'm sure Jesus will come, and he'll, he'll you know, pray a prayer or something, and the prison doors will fly off, and I'll just miraculously get to go free. I'm sure, since I was so good to Jesus, he'll come and, and let me out. Maybe that was what he thought, or maybe John just thought, you know what, I spent years laying out, rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, and I've been faithful to God every step of the way. I figured I'd at least get to see him do his work, I figured I'd at least get to watch the work of the Messiah from the sidelines or something, but here I am in jail and I can see nothing. Maybe he prayed and prayed and prayed, God, get me out, God, let me out, God, let me out, so I can go do more of what I've been doing. God, let me out, and nothing happened. We don't know what led John, but you can imagine having two long years to sit and think, why isn't God doing anything for me? Why isn't God getting me out? I was somebody who dedicated my life to serving him, and it's serving him that got me in this crummy prison cell. Why isn't Jesus freeing me? Is he really the guy? And John has a little bit of doubt, and he sends his friends to double check. And, and what prison was to him, many of us have had that event in our life that just, it hit you. And you thought you had solid faith, and you thought, oh, I believe, I'm, I'm nev- nothing's going to rattle my faith, until you're in that pit of whatever, until you're wondering, why isn't God getting me out of this, until you've prayed more prayers that you can count, and nothing's changed, and then you start to wonder, is God real? Does God even exist? And if he does exist, is he even good? Does he even care about me? Or maybe God's just not very good at being God. And we start to wonder these things. We question his goodness, his power, his all-knowing and all-good nature when we get into those moments that are incredibly, incredibly difficult. And you think, why wasn't God in that? Why wasn't God here for me? I mean, maybe you turn on the TV and you hear some horrible story about something awful that happened to some kids. And you think, they're kids. I mean, come on, they didn't deserve that. Those people locked them in a closet and took advantage of them and it was horrible. Where was God in that? What's going on there, God? Why didn't you come to rescue them in that moment? Or maybe you got sick or someone you love got sick. And again, all the prayers have been prayed, and you you don't even know how many prayers you've prayed. And no one's getting healed. And you wonder, what is going on? I thought God was the God who hears prayers and answers prayers. And then maybe it's, it could be anything, by the way, that you've prayed about over and over again. It could be that job loss. That was what was in the the little trailer we had. It could be... um, you got a kid that went off the deep end, and they're an adult, and so technically, you know, they take care of themselves, but, and you just watch them, and it just hurts you to watch them, and you think, why are they doing this? They're doing things. They're so dangerous. It's the way they're living. I know the road they're walking in is going to be nothing but hurt. Why are they doing that? And you've prayed, God, lead them back. God, lead them back. God, lead them back, and it hasn't happened yet. 
And then to make it worse, in the middle of your pain, some well-meaning Christian will come up and say, don't worry, God has a plan. And it just almost makes you mad. Because you're like, if this is God's plan, don't, don't tell me that this is God's plan. I don't, I can, if this is his plan, I don't get it. If this is God's, you know, if these are the, the, the road map that he's laid out for me, I'm not seeing where the road's going. I don't get it. Don't you tell me that that's his plan, that this is God's will for my life. I don't understand it. I don't see it. And I've prayed to get out of it, and it hasn't happened yet. You see, this is very real stuff. And I would love to just give you the nice, easy answer and say, oh, well, you prayed wrong. If you pray it like this, it'll all go away. But that's not the way the story goes. And so John sends a couple of guys to Jesus. Are you really him? I need to know because I'm getting despaired sitting in the cell and I don't understand what's going on. And I, I thought I was going to preach for you my whole life. I thought I was going to preach God and turn people to you. And, and I can't do anything from this prison cell. What is going on? Are you really, really Jesus? Are you really the guy? And so we go on verse 20. And when the men had come to him, come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Now the word poor there doesn't mean somebody who doesn't have any money. It's kind of a generic term that means people who are in need. Meaning, it could be spiritual need, physical need, whatever. Meaning that John's job was to go out into the world and help Israel see their need, see that they were lacking what Jesus was going to be bringing. And here I believe it is saying that tell John that all those people that whose eyes he opened to their need for salvation, they are hearing good news preached to them. And so what I notice most about that is when John says, hey, are you the guy? Jesus doesn't just hop up and go and rescue John. Jesus doesn't go and get a crowbar or his magic touch and open the, the prison doors and let John out. In fact, he didn't even go to John himself. He's like, oh, okay, here's the message you can send back to John. He didn't, even, he didn't have the courtesy to go to this guy who did so much work for him. In fact, Jesus just sends a message and says, look, John, John, look here. I know you don't understand the plan, but look what's happening where I am. The purposes of God are being fulfilled. He essentially is saying, John, look, I'm using that red carpet that you rolled out to me, rolled out for me, and I'm showing the world the way to salvation and eternal life that is beyond this troublesome and painful world. And John did not seem to understand the plan. And again, Jesus never gave him an answer to here's what's going to happen with the rest of your life. Jesus never told him why he was in jail. And, and if you know the story, John never gets out of jail. Herod ends up beheading John while he's in jail simply because Herodias didn't like John. And there's no happily ever after at the end of that story for John. The plan doesn't seem to make any sense at all. And so Jesus does not let John in on God's plan. What he does is he draws John's attention to God's purpose. 
He says, John, I know you don't understand the plan. I know you don't see what's beyond this prison cell. I know you don't see how this could possibly be any good. But look, over here, everything you have worked your life for, it's happening. It's not happening where you're sitting, but it's happening. The, the, the salvation of God is going out, and it is powerful, and it is mighty. And as you and I have the, the gift of 2,000 years of hindsight, what Jesus was doing, it was so powerful, it never got stopped. We're here today living proof because God's purpose was at work in the story and work of Jesus. And so you and I, as hard as this is, you and I don't have to understand God's plan to trust in his purpose. Meaning that we don't have to know all the details. We don't have to know what tomorrow will bring. We don't have to, to know all the minute little tiny bits of what God is doing and why it's happening in order to trust in God's purposes, in order to believe that God is good, God is present, even if what my life is going to lead to is not my plan, I can trust God's purpose in whatever the road before me has. You see, we often make a terrible mistake in thinking that we are smarter than God. And if God was just as smart as me, he'd fix all this stuff, right? If God was just as smart as me, he'd make all those news stories happy endings. If God was just as smart as me, he'd heal everybody that I know, and he'd take all the bad out of the world, and everything would be fine, and everything would be lollipops and unicorns and rainbows if God was as smart as me. That is so wrong because the Bible tells us that God's ways are so much higher than ours, and his ways are more infinite than ours. And I don't mean to say that he's putting you through what you're going through for a reason. The Bible also tells us that there's just evil in the world, and bad things happen, and human bodies fall apart, and we get old, and our memories fail, and all these things happen. But we don't have to understand all of the what's to understand the fact that God is still at work in our life. We don't have to interpret God's goodness based on what's going on in our world. In other words, we don't have to decide God is bad because my life is bad. We don't have to say God is, is terrible because my life is terrible. We don't have to interpret God based on those things. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the minds of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That almost rhymes. So close. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God's purposes are greater. We cannot see what God has coming down the road. And God decided, or and you, and you can not decide, again, that God is bad because your life is bad. God, you know, here's the thing. God never promised you your life would be pain-free, did he? Has anybody ever read that verse in the Bible? You can read it on Facebook, and you can read it on a coffee cup. You can buy it at Bible bookstores or on Amazon.com. But the Word of God never said that your life was going to be 90 to 100 years of perfect health and that you would all die in your sleep peacefully. That was never, ever promised to us. We were told that God would be with us and working in this world to rescue us from this messy, nasty, horrible world in which we often live. And I think the greatest example of the fact that sometimes you don't see the plan or you don't like the plan, but that God's purpose is still at work is, is the story of Jesus the very end of his life, when Jesus is the, that very night going to be knowing, knowing that he's going to be beaten and he's going to go to the cross the next day, Jesus goes into a, a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane and he gets on his hands and knees and he prays and he's so 
so anxious about the cross and the beating and the pain that's before him, he prays, God, if there is any way for this to go away, if there is any other way for you to accomplish your purpose, please let this cup of suffering pass from my hands. God, if there is any way, I do not want this plan. He prays, and then he prays one more thing. He says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. And it was through that plan that Jesus was apprehensive of, scared of, fearful of, that God changed history. He split our calendar in two before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We've been counting time because of Jesus differently. We know that Jesus left such a mark on our world and he didn't want in that moment, he was scared in that moment to go through with God's plan. But he stood back and he said, but God, I know you're so much better. I know your, your eternal purposes are bigger than this temporary pain that I'm about to go through. And so you don't have to be okay with the plan. You don't have to like the plan. You don't have to understand the plan to be able to step back and still find trust in God's purposes. So when God doesn't make sense, when he seems far away, when your life feels like God's forgotten you, I I encourage you, step back, trust in his purposes. And that is not easy. And that might be a sermon that you have to kind of preach to yourself. I've been in moments when there's just, it looks like no hope, and I've had to stand back and be like, God is still here even though everything's falling apart. And I just kind of preach that little message to myself over and over again. God is still good. God is still present. God is still here. God is still working even though I can't see it, even though I can't feel it, even though everything is falling apart. And so I pray that you and I would have the strength when the moment comes, and maybe you're there now, and maybe your church needs to surround you and encourage you in this truth. But I pray that we, like Jesus, would be able to stand back and say, God, not my will, but yours. God, I don't understand the plan. I don't like it. But don't follow my plan. God, live up to your accord, eternal, saving, wonderful purpose. Let's pray. Father, this is a very, very difficult lesson. There's no easy answer. There's no magic formula that we can use to get you to make our life better, and that's really what we want, if we're honest. We want the pain to go away. We want the hurt to stop. We want the sicknesses to clear. We want uh, joy to be, to replace all the pain. We want comfort to be abundant, but, but there's some days where, where those things just <laughs> seems like they've dried up. And the change that needs to take place, even in the moments of pain, is not in your plan or your purposes, but in our understanding. And so help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are good on bad days as well as the joyful days. Let us to know that you're, you're working not just to fix everything in this world. No, you've got grander plans than that. You are working to get us beyond this world. Why would we want a, a remodeled br- version of this brokenness, Father? You are planning something entirely new, a new heaven, a new earth that we will live in forever if we do not lose our hope in you. So let us have eternal focus so that we can see that what you have for us is not just a redone, a refixed up, a, a duct taped together version of this broken world. No, you were building us something better and newer. And so, Father, when the answers don't seem to come easily, I pray that, if anything else, you would give us trust in your purpose. You would allow us to lean in to you and understand that we might not know where you're leading or like where you're leading, but we know that you are good through it all. And even when we have stories like John, where his life 
was cut short in a prison cell for unjust purposes, we also know that through in John, uh, you prepared the way for Jesus, and when John met his untimely end, you took him to heaven. And he was free forever from this junk. And he was better than everybody else on the planet that moment he was taken to be with you in heaven forever. So help us, Father, in the moments when the plan is difficult, when the plan is confusing, or maybe when we can't see the plan at all. And let us trust in your eternal purposes and let us believe that you are still good. Thank you for your son Jesus, who gives us hope beyond this broken world and in the dirty news stories that we see every night. It's in his name that we trust and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.